If you have your scriptures with you this morning, Ephesians, book of Ephesians chapter 1, working on 15 through 23. And uh, Stephanie's smiling to me up there, so that means she's got everything working right, right? All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Our theme through this little section of Ephesians, of course, our overall theme is treasures so rich. Uh, because it gives us the grand and glorious understanding from God's perspective down to us of salvation. And uh, it allows us to see it and how he's planned it before the foundation of the world. But this kind of little intermediate section, verses 15 through 23, has been about increasing. Because once we understand what God's done in salvation, there's nothing that man can ever take from us. Did you read that in that passage and that that beautiful, uh, the lyrics in that? No guilt in life, no fear in death, right? How many people fear death today and the guilt that they have that they carry through this life? Uh, they carry it as a burden, and they, lit, they, they, they fall over in a big hump at the grave someday, right? This is the power of Christ in me. He takes away guilt now and the fear of death to come, because death is not a reality anymore for the believer. It is merely the day that we go on to victory. From life's first cry to my final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. We're going to have the scripture from the 10th chapter of the book of John today because what comes from the understanding that, and it's a great, strong understanding that salvation is not in your work and in your strength because we falter, don't we? We know we do time and again. Our assurance comes because of Jesus' hand, not our hand. So no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Increasing. Uh, We can live this life increasing in that power and in his truth. And that's what this intermediate section, the last section of chapter 1, if you'll read it with me, verses 15 through the end there, we'll have a short prayer and we'll get started. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, so that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, beloved, you his body, and are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning, I just pray that you go above my simple efforts, my words, that you speak directly to the heart of your people. This passage of Scripture talks and keys on the Holy Spirit being a part of every worship service, being indwelled in the believer, and indeed giving that wisdom and revelation of the spiritual truths and therefore the knowledge of you. And it's in that knowledge that light comes into our soul and we can begin to understand the hope to which you've called us. The glorious inheritance we are to you and you are to us 
your glorious inheritance in us, the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. What awesome statements from Scripture. My prayer is that we wrap our minds fully around them and begin to think about them and live a life of increasing here. I know that people are here today, they're tired from their jobs. <laughs> they're, they're burdened by a load of, of things they need to do and get done, bills that need to be paid, things that need to happen at work, perhaps medical issues. But Father, above and beyond all that, you've given us victory. Help them to see that, that this life is about increasing towards that every day as we take in more of who you are and push away more of what this world is. I pray that for them this morning as we get started, that you make them greater. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you have your scriptures, keep them open there. We're going to spend some time in Romans 4 this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the life of um, Abraham just momentarily this morning because I think it's in his life. We get a great encouragement. And excuse me while I get some. My throat is so dry this morning. It may cut me down to a whole hour and a half this morning. I don't know. I'll try to press on, though, for you guys this morning. I, I, I hope you guys, this is Labor Day weekend. This is a good weekend. Listen. I told somebody this week um, that football started Thursday, uh, September 1st, because when I walked out of the parsonage and come over here, I usually get over here early to read. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and I know no normal soul is up at that time, especially out east. There's something about folks out east. You guys go to bed later and get up later for some reason, I've noticed. But nevertheless, I'm on my cycle. I walk out of the house, and it's like 50-some degrees, and I'm thinking, wow, it's September. September 1st is here, and football's here. And, uh, of course, it, it just gives me, it makes me more increasingly focused on the greatest thing in the world, and that is Sunday morning and preaching, right? Okay, amen. <laughs> so, as we begin this morning, increasing. I want you guys to, just the uh, last couple of weeks we've been on this, and we'll probably let it go at some point here today because we're moving on now to the resurrection powers. We move towards the end of this. But as we do verses uh, 18 and 19 and 20 this morning, 20, because we'll begin to see... Uh, where it'll take us over the next couple of weeks. This theme of increasing is good. I want you guys to let go of, of looking from here to God and look what God's done down to you. I want you to own that because God planned before the foundation of the world to save you in Jesus Christ. And if you understand it from that perspective, you understand that it's all a work of God. It's not a work of you. And every time you fail or you sin or you do something wrong or, you know, like me, when I get in the line at McDonald's, and somebody else is going, do so, you ever notice it takes some people 10 minutes to order from that little screen in the line at McDonald's? I don't know what's wrong with those people, right? But they're not sanctified like me because I'm ready to order when I get up there. So i got to honk my horn sometimes. So, you know, and you can't do that as a pastor, right? So I, I need to let go of that part of me, right, and see it from God's perspective and what he's done, right? That Egg McMuffin's going to be good no matter when I get it. So it's about increasing, Becoming greater in size and amount and intensity or degree. And I love Egg McMuffins. This has been a central theme of our effort in Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. This is literally prayer. And you can uh, do this in your uh, study time perhaps, but look at all of Paul's writings. He's constantly praying that the church would know God and know him more intimately. And it's because that's where deep faith is built. That's where deep faith that will get you through uh, cancer diagnosis. That's where deep faith that will get you through job loss. That's where deep faith will get you through death and disease and destruction in this place. 
and all the turmoil that we live through here, that's where deep faith will get you through. And that's why you need to know God and know him specifically. I said that in the opening prayer this morning, that we often look through our eyes and everything we have to do. Look through God's eyes. His promise is that everything that he is that we're going through, he's working out. All things work together to the good of those he loves and are called according to his purpose and those that love him. That's God's promises this morning. I just want to dwell on that for a little while as we look at that. So Paul dwells on that for each one of these churches. Certainly this is a central point of our sanctification, that we understand who God is. His prayer began with thankfulness for their faith that they had exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith was a gift of the Holy Spirit and a work of the gospel in them. And then, the, uh, the consequently, the love that they shown to one another. And we talked about that the first week, remember? You can't have faith in Jesus Christ or say that you love Jesus and not love his church. Those two things never go together. Faith and love for the saints. They should be there and they should be increasing. If you're in a church today that is not increasing in faith and love, it is quite possible that you might not even be in a church and I'm of the increasing belief as we go further in this 21st century that churches do not stagnate. They either exhibit faith and love that Paul is talking about here. And as I said, by definition, those two words will be increasing because you will have a desire to know more about the God who saved you. And from that desire, your faith will grow and your love for one another will grow. It is in that increasing measure that we have to see in any church and if they're not increasing like that, they're either decreasing or dying or dead. I believe Park Bible Baptist Church has experienced such things in its life, and it left you all restless because when the first calls came and I answered them, I intimately understood that restlessness. You had people here that were alive that wanted to spend time about the things of life. They wanted to hear the word preached, and they wanted to do the work of the Lord, and they wanted to love one another, and they wanted the increasing that comes with that. It's just unnatural for a Christian not to be in part of that. So doctrine is key here. If the church is not preaching the word and believing the word of God and increasing in the knowledge of God, it will not. Indeed, it cannot be a church that is increasing. Paul said those very things as he sent young Timothy to Ephesus just for this reason. He sent him there just to preach against false teachers. He said in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, I urged you that when I was going into Macedonia to remain there in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which only promote speculations, not stewardship or orderliness. Right? Stewardship is about being a good steward of the house of God, stewardship that is from God and is by faith. Paul said, this is the aim of our charge. It's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Do you hear the echoes of Ephesians 1.15 here? He says it's faith because of the doctrine and love that comes from that faith that is built up when true doctrine is taught. But certain persons, he says, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain and empty things. They've desired to be teachers, but they don't understand what they're doing and how important their teachings are. They make confident assertions about things, but not about things of Scripture. Churches today are full of different doctrines, uh, differing from scriptural truths and devoted entirely to what Paul was talking about, myths 
the science, myths of science, myths of man, feelings, cultural. Uh, and this does not engender this orderliness, this stewardship from God that is by faith. And that is why they are in disorder and disarray and have no power and no love. Also, they promote a sentimental love. They're glad to do that. They'll tell you that love is love, but this doesn't promote faith or love or true love or only true doctrine can do that. And the following of that promotes that selfless love that Scripture promotes and faith issues from this because it begins with a love for God. And our love for God is found directly in our understanding of the Scriptures and what He's done on our behalf. That's where our increasing comes from that we understand God and what he's done in Christ and all that is true, and these truths demand love for neighbor. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. For this very reason, Paul prays at the top of each great epistle for this increasing, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him, because it's the Holy Spirit, beloved, in you that is the efficient cause of the increasing of the knowledge of God. It leads to a faith and love manifold inside the church. And he goes on to pray that this increasing would be an enlightenment to your soul. We spoke about that last week. Literally, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened there in verse 18. And that says that your soul should be filled with the light of the truth of the wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God. Because when you fill your soul with that... You push out what the world is bringing in, the doubt, the dissension, the death, the darkness is what the world wants to bring in. It wants to bring in worry. It wants to tell you that the world is falling in. It wants to tell you that you have no control over these things to send plenty of money in so that we can fix these things. It wants you to worry and being increasingly worried so that you will be under more power of the powers that be in this world. But if you know God, it's just the opposite. You know that God is in control, and no matter what comes your way, if his promises are true, beloved, and they are, Scripture tells us time and time again, if his promises are not true, I guarantee the world's promises are not true. When we understand it from that perspective, we see that God is for us who can be against us. So that it is in this enlightening, listen, these build off one another. If you miss one, uh, you need to come back and take the test on the week that you missed because if you miss one here, remember we first talked about that he, he prayed for their increase. Increase in what? That they were increase in wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God. And that, 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 that they would pump that truth right into the souls of their very, their very hearts, that it would enlighten their souls, that they would be full of the light of the truth. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, Literally, the heart there means the spirit of the soul of man, and that truth coming in gives you light, and light is life, right? Uh, and, and light is strength, and light is assurance, and light is, light is perseverance in this world. Light is overcoming. Light is everything good, and it pushes out the dark because the dark cannot comprehend it. But it also builds on to what we're going to get into this week. It helps you to know what is the hope to which you, he has called you. These what's in, scripture, in, this, in this passage in verses 18 and 19. There's three of them. So that, you're, so that the eyes of your, your soul would be enlightened with this wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. So that you would understand the three what's. What is the hope to which he has called you? 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance there in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? And as we're going to add today, that power being the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave. It's an undeniable power that the scripture talks about that I want to get into over the most next couple of weeks because it's the power that the church has. It's the power that the individual has. It's the power of what God is doing through you. And he qualifies it as the power that brought Jesus up out of the grave. Think about that just for a moment. Those glorious thoughts um, that, that are spoken there. And this morning I want to bring in a concept that we will further study as we ascend the last truths of this chapter, resurrection power. You see it there in verse 19 that these great truths Paul wants these believers to be increasing in are all predicated on the work of the Spirit leading us to wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God. He says it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And this is power. Coupled to God's truth, the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God is truth and power. And it is in Christ and Christ be in us and fill us, beloved, the church. We are just beginning to understand the glory of what God has done in us, his church. And what is the hope? to which we are being called, the victory that we possess and the great power of God in resurrecting us and in resurrecting, beloved, all of creation around us. We weren't there at the first creation. None of us were. I, I'm sure that, yeah. None of you were there at the first creation, right? When God spoke everything into existence out of nothing. I don't have to think long about that. But the ones who were, beloved, who marveled, at the creative wisdom and power, that's truth and power that I'm talking about, of God, they who were there and saw the power and glory of the Son being spoken into existence, who seen the waters separated from the waters, right? They were present when God created all that swarms in the waters and all the creatures that creep upon the earth. They saw Almighty God literally reach down, gather the dust up in his hands, and form man and breathe into his life, into his nostrils, the breath of life. Those exalted beatings that were there on that day, there since the beginning, all agree on this fact. All that greatness of creation pales in comparison. All of the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge they had of that creative expression of God pales in comparison because it is through the church, beloved. You've heard me bring this verse out of Ephesians. It's the second most important verse, I think, for the believer in the book of Ephesians is chapter 3, verse 10. It is there so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It is through what he's doing in us that displays a wisdom greater than God displayed the day he set the sun ablaze. It's things that angels long to look into. That's the hope of your calling. It's recreation. It's resurrection power. It takes truth and power. And it's a spectacle more sublime than that of the original creation. It is God's power. And though we may have not been there for the first of creation, we marvel at that truth and wisdom and power. But we are already, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we are a part of that recreation, that resurrection power. Uh, that's being worked in us right now and today. This is the center of the hope of our calling as beloved heirs 
of Jesus Christ. Grasping this with all wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God in the work of the Holy Spirit within us is the center of Paul's prayer. I want you to know that for this beloved church at Ephesus, and it's this pastor's prayer for you, and it's Paul's prayer for the church of all time, that as we fill our souls with the light and truth of God in Christ, we will possess for ourselves an assurance that is so deep that nothing can shake its foundation, an assurance so deep and wide and so sure that the church will command great great gains in this place in the gospel and bring great glory to the Lord Jesus, that we won't be a dead church, that we'll be a church alive, a church that understands the life that's been given to us, the power that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ to change, change not only ourselves, but the community around us as we go out into it speaking and preaching these things of truth and love. We have that message that says it changes a man from death to life. I don't know any other power that you could bring this morning that could even begin to represent the power that can make a dead man live. It's the gospel. It makes dead men alive. We have the message that transforms dead men to life. That's the gospel. We have the wisdom, the truth, the knowledge of God revealed by the Spirit. It's light and life to our souls. We are beloved. We are increasing. So there it is. Do we know What is the hope of our calling? That God, beloved, is making us like Jesus. That he's making us like his son, Jesus Christ. That we can live, we can love in this world, and we can minister as Christ ministered. And that we are being transformed literally in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I read this verse for you last week as as an emphasis and a beginning point of this week. And we all, that is all believers, with unveiled face... And remember we spoke about the glories of Moses going up on Mount Sinai. And when he was in the presence of God, the scripture said his face shone. The light had soaked into him and he was reflecting the light and the glory of God. And when he came down off that mountain, he had to veil himself. This says, and we all with unveiled face looking directly at the truth of God, looking directly into the promises of God. We are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the Greek metamorphosis, where we get our word metamorphosis. Literally, we're being transformed into the same image. Into the same image of what? Of Jesus, the Son of God. Not only into his image as in holiness, but into his image as he was recognized. Remember there in the Garden of Eden after the resurrection? She had gone up and mistaking him for the gardener. She said, where have you laid our Lord Jesus Christ? It's important that she mistaked him, Mary, for the gardener. Because he is the gardener. He's the second Adam in the new garden. The garden that God is building for us in our resurrected bodies. Christ And God's work in us is to make us like Christ, and we are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. The key to this is that we understand from God's perspective. When we get uh, weighed down in, in our own ability to generate our own salvation is when we get weak. Uh, but when we look at what God's done is when we get assurance in our salvation. We talked about this uh, from Ephesians 1. We spoke about how When you read Ephesians 1 from verse 3 down to verse 14, we see it from God's perspective. 
But from our perspective, looking back to God, uh, someday the gospel came along and somebody had preached it to us. Maybe you grew up in church like I did, and, you know, your mom was dragging you. My mom was a druggie, right? You're, is your mom a druggie, right? She drugged me, drugging me and my little brother to church every Sunday morning. She drugged us to church. Every time the doors were open, she was always letting the gospel be preached to us. But that's the first knowledge I had of God was through the gospel. And then I understood that Jesus died for me. And then sometime later when I started filling my soul full of the knowledge of this book, I understood that God, oh my goodness, it says in verse 3, 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You mean to tell me? That I didn't choose God. God chose me before the foundation of the world. Literally says in Revelations 13, 8, that we were written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. You see, when I see it from God's perspective, I understand it's all God's doing. When I see it from my perspective back to God, I think that I have some doing in it. But no, it's a God that loves me. He saved me. He sent his son to die for me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He put his son on the cross of Calvary. And then he sent his Holy Spirit clear back some 26 years ago. I don't know what year it was. I can't think this morning. But he did that. He was faithful. And I understood who he was. And I was converted. My soul was changed. And then I understood these glorious things in reverse. And we look at sin that way. We read from chapter 3 of the book of Romans. We read how sinful sin is. And we said to ourselves, you know, that can't be me. I'm not that sinful. Remember those words we wrote? I'll just give you a little taste of them while we got time. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Well, that's kind of the culture we live in, Right? Everyone's turned aside. They've all become worthless. Well, is everyone worthless? No one does good. Not even one, Scripture says. Well, yeah, there's some people doing some pretty good things. Their throat's an open grave. Their tongues are set to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses. Their feet are quits. This can't be talking about me as a sinner. I was never that bad. That's because I'm looking at it from my perspective back to God. This is God's perspective on sin. This is why Jesus had to die, beloved. Because sin is unholiness. Sin is against God's law. And we have all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So when I understand sin from God's perspective, I understand much more what he's done on my behalf and how much more my necessary the blood of Jesus Christ was. Assurance is this same way. If you have your scriptures this morning, turn back to Romans chapter 4. And let's just look momentarily at the life of Abraham. I won't spend a long time here. But this is something that I think so compares to our own lives. When we look at what God's done and we read the Bible, we read it from that God had planned uh, to have a pe uh, people separated uh, from himself that he would save, that he would bless. But when he met Abraham there in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, he said to Abraham, I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation. Now, when Abraham heard those words, I will make of you a great nation, that must have been a great thing to him. But I doubt that Abraham thought that uh, somebody like Kyle would be added to his family, uh, you know, just three weeks ago or whatever it was when we baptized Kyle. I doubt if Abraham had any understanding that his family was going to be that great, that uh, God had said, if you can number the stars of heaven, so shall the amount of your family members be. But what God was talking about was all the people that he would save and bring into the family of Abraham. Abraham didn't understand those things completely. 
What does the scripture say? Romans chapter 4, it says it there, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, he didn't understand everything that God was going to do. He certainly didn't understand that I was going to come to faith uh, some 26 years ago, that Kyle would come to faith and be baptized just a few months ago. He didn't quite understand how big his family was going to be. He couldn't count all the stars in heaven. He knew that was going to be a lot of people. But you see, when he looked at it from his perspective back to God, he misses all of this, just like we do, beloved. God's promise was, was I'm going to do these things. I'm going to bless you. And for those who bless you, I'm going to bless them. It's God doing these things, not Abraham. All Abraham had to do was what? Believe God. That's where the power is. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the assurance comes from. This morning we talked about uh, Paul in the, in, the, uh, in the Philippian jailer. He was down there in the third hole of the jail, and about midnight he'd been beaten with rods. Him and Silas were singing hymns, and the earth shook. And Paul must have thought, man, it can't get any worse than this. They've just beat me with rods. they put us into the deepest hole in the prison. They've locked our legs up in chains. But God has a plan for everything that comes our way. And when we see it from God's perspective to us, or if Abraham could have seen it and read it from the scriptures of God's perspective down to him, he would have understood just how great this nation's going to be. Boy, we miss that when we cloud it up with our own eyes. Let's just go through a little bit of Romans 4 because I think there's something so good for you here. There's something so good. Verse 13, it kind of it uh, breaks down the belief of Abraham. And I think it's instructive because um, as we illustrate this and understand it, both from Abraham's perspective and then from, Abraham's, or from God's back to Abraham, it'll be a great blessing to us. Uh, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And anytime you see that did not come through the law means that it did not come by Abraham's good works. In other words, Abraham couldn't fulfill the law in a way that could please God and cause him to give him these blessings. Why did, it, why did God give Abraham the blessings? Abraham failed, remember? He went into Egypt and he sold out his wife because she was good looking and he was fear, fearful of the Egyptians there during that time of famine. He failed as a man. Why did God do these things for Abraham? Why did God say, I'll make of you a great nation? And by the way, everyone who blesses you, I will bless them as well. Because God loved Abraham. God's doing it for his own glory, to gather to him a people who love him back. That's all it is, beloved. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus said. All Abraham had to do was believe God. There was no way he could fulfill the law. Now, it's out of a heart of understanding and love that we want to try to do our best at that. But we cannot earn it. Verse 14, for if the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs... Faith is not necessary. It's null and void, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
How come as believers we have no law? Because Christ has fulfilled the law. If we have faith in Christ and what Christ has done on our behalf, the law is as good as completely fulfilled before the God of heaven. This is why it's about belief and not about works. That's what he's getting ready to say. Verse 16, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise rests on grace, that is God's love, that is God's gift to us and his mercy, right? Grace and mercy, uh, by definition, require nothing from us. We can't give anything to God to ask something that he was going to give that's unmerited to us. It may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, that is all who have like faith, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see, that's the, that's the foundation. It's not the works of the law. It's the God who calls life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Look around you, beloved. We have um, so many religions that require you to do so many works. And it's in those works that you naturally want to try to earn your salvation, but you cannot. That's why you desperately need to see to have assurance that your salvation has been earned by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Catholicism does that. Baptism, confession, penance, you got to do it all. Good works, last rites, purgatory. They have mass for the dead. They have prayers for the dead. They light candles for the dead. They have to go to communion weekly or they, they miss out on some work that might keep them in salvation. And from that they have no assurance because if they don't continue those works time and time again, there's no assurance because it's built on what they do and not what Jesus did. It's a continual thing. But verse 18 says that in hope he believed against hope. That is, that someone walking up to me and saying that I'm going to make of you a great nation, if you can't count the stars of heaven, that's how many it's going to be. That's hope against hope. How crazy does that sound? But it was hope against hope. Abraham still believed because it was God. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And he didn't weaken when he found out that he was unable. Listen, he was 100 years old before he had Isaac. And he was 116 years old before he walked Isaac up that hill to sacrifice him to the Lord because he believed God. You see, his faith grew because he understood and he spent time with God. Grace and love. God wanted to bless Abraham and it was out of love for Abraham that he wanted to make out of him a right and great nation. It's the righteousness of Christ in the gospel. It's about God's character, not about our character. It's about what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he sent his son to die on our behalf. Listen, we didn't even know that until we heard the gospel. But God had it planned before the foundation of the world. It's called the covenant of redemption. And the son agreed to be submissive to the cross, even the cross of Calvary, it says in the scripture. It's his character, not ours. It's his earning, not ours. The light in our soul, the wisdom, the revelation of knowledge gives us a deeper understanding of the one who calls us to the hope that we should have. God, it's built on his character, and it's built on Christ's work. They are eternal, immutable, and everlasting. We, we are not immutable by any stretch. We're such fickle people. In him there is no shadow of turning. 
He does not, indeed cannot lie. And what he starts, he always brings to completion. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians. He will never break his covenant of redemption. In fact, Paul writes and intimately knows that this is the scarlet thread, this one scarlet cord throughout all of Scripture. scripture. It's Christ, and his redemption is the means by which God will be faithful to make a great family of the nation of Abraham, right? Make a great nation of Abraham. The same means by which he will bless this great nation, redeem this great nation, and resurrect this great nation is by his son, Jesus Christ. That is, all those who have like faith of Abraham. It's the plan before the foundation of the world. I read it to you. It is literally us being written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 1.12, which this is why I go ahead and suffer as I do. Paul intimately understood that everything came his way was for his good. He said, I'm not ashamed of this, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been given to me as a trust, the gospel. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It's about what God's done, not what you've done. Listen, if you're sitting in your pew this morning, understand, and I gave you the chance as we went to confession that we sin and we continue to sin. We're weak. But as we take in the wisdom and revelation and knowledge of what God's done, we become increasingly stronger. The light within us grows, and our assurance grows. It's because of Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, I was with them, and while I was with them, I kept them in your name, speaking to the Father. Those which you have given me, I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Not one of them has been or will be lost. John 10, 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they will never die and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. It's about what he's done. Listen, I remember a time when our children were small and all the children that we had who were not ours and in foster care, the ones we adopted to, I remember these children had a lot. Listen, if you've had children, you know this instinctively, and you've experienced this. It's especially true of children that are in the system. You know, there's generally a plethora of medical issues that children go through, and they need to be taken care of, from uh, earaches to scoliosis of the spine. And I'll just use my son Trey, for instance. He was, he was 51 weeks old when he came into foster care to our house. It was one, one week literally before his birthday. And by the time he was four years old, he had seven ear surgeries. He had a lot going on. And you know that surgeries, they all required shots and IVs and doctor's visits and probing and prodding and testing and blood draws and ear exams. And on and on this little guy went through. The little dude was a trooper. But in fact, his mom, my beloved wife, I think she generally, generally and genuinely felt more of the pain than Trey ever did for this little boy. And it was all out of love she had for him. To get him through whatever medical procedure that he had to go through. 
the surgeries, the testings. She did this for all the children. And when they would get ready, the nurse would head towards the small child. You know, every parent in here feels this. Liz would grab, she would grab them by the shoulder and look straight into their eyes. And she would say to them, just look into my eyes. I promise this is not going to hurt. This will be okay. Just continue to look into my eyes and breathe, she would say. Every kid knew this. Just look into my eyes. I got you. I'm not going to let them hurt you. Just look into my eyes, and I will protect you. She was putting everything, her whole character, on the line. As long as those kids kept their gaze fixed directly on mom, everything was going to be okay. And they believed it, and it was. Beloved, it's the same with God. If we'll just keep our eyes fixed on him. We can do anything in this life. We can answer any call. It'll be a life of increasing. The more you give to him, the less you've got to carry. The more you see that he's done this work in the life, the more joy you'll have. Beloved, place all your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he will save you from the big things and from the little things. And then keep your gaze fixed directly on him. I want to end this morning's message with a beautiful hymn that Martin Lloyd-Jones added to the end of his sermon on this very passage. It's a hymn written in the late 19th century by Edward Moat. He wrote these words. It's familiar in your ears. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I will rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, Support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close today, my prayer is no different than Brother Paul's. As he prays for the church in Ephesus instinctively and throughout, parentally, throughout all the time, the church, we hear those words. He had seen what you'd done in the work of the gospel. They had faith in you and they had love for one another, but he didn't want it to stay there. He wanted it to grow. He wanted the light of the wisdom and revelation and knowledge you to infuse their very souls. Oh, Lord, only you can do that in us. Only your word can do that. And my prayer is the same for this church here some 2,000 plus years later is that you would do that work in us, Father, that you would continue to infuse our souls with the light and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in him we have hope, and only in him we have hope. Father, thank you. If there's one person sitting here today that has not experienced that hope, my prayer is that today you're doing that work in their lives. You're so faithful. You love us so. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.